please open your Bibles with me to the book of the Psalms. This morning we'll be looking at Psalm 48. Psalm 48. Beloved, I'm not interested, not in the least, in a gospel of ifs, ands, buts, or maybes. No, no. Rather, I'm only interested in hearing the sure, certain, and eternal gospel of God, ordered in all things and sure. Away with this so-called gospel of yeah, but. Rather, I want to hear the gospel of all the promises of God in Christ, being yea, and in him, amen, unto the glory of God, our Heavenly Father. You see, I'm not interested in a gospel where there are conditions to be met, where there are doubts and fears. Rather, I'm only interested in the glorious gospel of Christ, where there's eternal certainty and safety to be found. The gospel that saves sinners, not almost, (laughs) no, but to the uttermost, where I cannot be lost. Indeed, that gospel where I must be saved, no ifs, ands, buts, or maybes about it. All right, look there with me in Psalm 48, verse 14. Beloved, this is where I want to start, and this is where I want to end. Remember what expected end that prophet Jeremiah spoke of? Do you remember? For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace, and not of evil, to give you an expected end. (laughs) An expected end. All right, Psalm 48, verse 14. Beloved, this God is our God forever and ever. He will be our guide, even unto death. Now, every one of us has a God. Every one of us has a God. And my friend, you either have a God that you made up according to your own imagination, that false God you can manipulate, or you have the true and living God, indeed the one with whom we all have to do, the one according to the Scriptures. When Moses asked the true and living God, Who shall I say has sent me? God replied, Say unto my children, I am hath sent thee unto you. And so, beloved, this is our God, and we are in his hands, and we are subject to him. Now, this psalm tells us about the God who is God, indeed, the true and living God. And so, we learn, beloved, we learn from this last verse that this God is our God forever and ever. Now notice how the psalm begins. It begins in verse 1 with the words, Great is the Lord. And the conclusion, verse 14, Beloved, this God is our God forever and ever. The psalmist says forth in verse 1, Great is the Lord. Great is the Lord, beloved. Now I trust upon hearing that, everyone he's gathered here this morning is saying in their hearts, Amen. Amen. Great is the Lord. Now, how great is the Lord our God? 
Now, it seems to me that this word great falls short to describe the greatness of our good and ready to forgive God. That is, the word great seems altogether insufficient to describe our Lord, does it not? I mean, he's infinitely great in every aspect of his character, his person, and power, just beyond description. And there's no limit to his greatness. He's great beyond all description, and he's great beyond all imagination. Indeed, beloved, he's greater than all. Now, in our reading this morning from Psalm 145, we heard verse 3 read to us, as it says there, Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. You see, beloved, his greatness is beyond our grasp. We can't search it out. We can't find it out. And in Psalm 150, we read there, we praise him for his mighty acts, praise him according to his excellent greatness. Now, when we use the word great, we usually use it as if there were degrees of greatness. And that may be so, speaking of the relative comparisons we make in this world. But in regards to God, He alone is great. You see, the Lord alone is great, and He's beyond compare. We read in Exodus chapter 15, verse 11, Who is like unto thee, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like thee, glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, and doing wonders? You see, my friend, Think of him as great as you will. Think of him as as great as you will, and he's infinitely greater beyond that. Beloved, don't you just love to think upon these things where you're just taken up in the vastness of God, the immenseness of God and his power, his person, and all his great and wonderful works? I mean, just to pause for a moment and to take it in and consider his great power. Now, what what do I mean by that? Well, if you would, turn with me to 1 Peter. And I pray the Lord would bless his word. If he's pleased to do so, he can grant much comfort to sinners here this morning. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 5, look what it says there. It says, Who? Well, let's not rush through this too quickly. Who's the who? Well, we read verse 2. It says there, The who are the elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through sanctification of the Spirit unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. You see, beloved, that's speaking about you and me who believe on Christ. Beloved, we're kept by the power of God. (laughs) kept by the power of God, the one who made the stars, the sun, the moons, everything your eye can behold, the one who sustains the universe. We're kept by that power, beloved. Beloved, we're kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Through faith, through the faithfulness, the uprightness, the never-failing Lord Jesus Christ. Beloved, he's infinitely great beyond all that we can think and conceive. He's great, but he's beyond what we can see and comprehend. 
You see, he filleth the universe. As we saw here last week, it's not that God is everywhere. Rather, everywhere is in God. Indeed, the universe is in God. And he's controlling the sun, the moon, and all the stars in heaven. And beloved, it's his power that keeps us. I mean, I could just finish my message right there and we all be comforted. If you just take the time and God grant you that, God enable you to do that very thing and just take it in (laughs) and think on that. We're kept by the power of God. What what, uh, assurance God gives to his people to take that in and rest in that and believe that. You know, one can just get lost in the wonder and vastness of his greatness, his immenseness. And, and, I mean, just think of the mass of humanity that is born and dies every day. We were thinking about that in the prayer meeting just before the service. You see, my friend, God gives life and God takes life. And he sovereignly controls everything in between. Every detail, every speck of dust, every ray of sunshine, every cloud, every drop of rain. It's God that sent it. It's God that guides it. And it's God that purposed it. Praise Him. Praise Him, beloved, for His mighty acts. Praise Him according to His excellent greatness. And He's not just to be praised. Rather, as the psalmist writes, He's greatly to be praised. You see, the more we discover about God, indeed, the more He reveals Himself to our weary hearts, the more our hearts are prompted to praise Him for His greatness. And we do praise him, but not merely for his greatness in creation. For there is a great work that's beyond all other works, and that's the finished work of salvation for his people that he elected before time ever was. You who believe, consider this. A sinner like you, a sinner like me, someone who never had a righteous thought, never committed a righteous act, at this moment, beloved, we stand before God as righteous as God himself. And beloved, that's the blessed truth of this this gospel. God brought it about, God purposed it, and willed it, and provided for his people, those he chose before the foundation of the world. And my friend, (laughs) and I love this about the gospel, he didn't do it by accident. <laughs> it wasn't left to chance. No, he rather he did it on purpose. And he accomplished it. There's so many wonderful, blessed words in God's only holy book, the Bible. That word accomplished. I love that verse in Isaiah speaking about our justification and our sanctification. Indeed, our salvation. There in Isaiah chapter 40, where the Lord tells the ministers he sends to his beloved people, Comfort ye. Comfort ye my people. Speak ye comfortably to Jerusalem. Don't speak to her head. (laughs) Speak to her heart. What's the message that comforts the hearts of his people? Tell her, our Lord tells us, that her warfare is accomplished, that her iniquity is pardoned, for she hath received of the Lord's hand double for all her sins. You know what happens when warfare is accomplished? Peace. perfect peace. He reconciled us to our Heavenly Father, beloved. Now, if you would, 
Turn with me to 1 Peter, and we'll look here again in another verse. Now, beloved, this is what thrills our souls. This accomplished warfare, this accomplished saving work is beyond compare when compared to his other works in creation. Now, in 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning there in verse 22, now this is speaking of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is God manifest in the flesh the blessed Son of God, who we call Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And it says of Him that He did no sin. 1 Peter chapter 2, speaking of our Lord Jesus Christ, it says there that He did no sin, neither was guile found in His mouth. You see, as a man, He did no sin, Indeed, he is the only perfect man to have ever lived. And so as our substitute, beloved, he did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. Verse 23, And when he was reviled, he reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. And so why did he not respond to his accusers? Because, beloved, It was the Father's will that he be made sin for us. And as our substitute, beloved, he was made guilty of your sin and mine. And this is the great saving work of his being our substitute. The just, and that speaks of Christ, dying for the unjust. That's you and me, beloved. You see, he was made guilty of our sin that we might be made free by him who did no sin. And neither was guile found in his mouth. You see, he would not defend himself. Indeed, he would not defend himself. Now, he could have, but he didn't, because as our substitute, he justly deserved everything he got. And so when he was reviled, he reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him, to our Heavenly Father that judgeth righteously. Verse 24, and I'm so thankful for this. Beloved, he himself bare our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sins, should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes ye were healed. Verse 25. For ye, and that's you and me, beloved, for we were as sheep going astray, but are now returned. Beloved, God found us and returned us unto the shepherd and bishop of your souls. Now turn over to chapter 3. Well, the same page for some of you. First Peter chapter 3, and look there in verse 18. For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. Beloved, Christ brought us, reconciled us to our Heavenly Father by His great power according to His purpose. Remember what He prayed? I thank You, Father. You've given me all power over all flesh that I should give eternal life to as many as Thou hast given me. Do you remember what the Father commanded Him? Do you remember what the Father's will is? Our Lord said, This is the Father's will. Which, sent, which hath sent me, that of all which he hath given me, I should lose nothing, 
but should raise it up again at the last day. And how did you do that? By being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. That, my friend, is God's greatest and crowning work, that we may be made righteous through the doing and dying of His beloved Son. And so we sing with the psalmist, Thou, Lord, hast made me glad through Thy work. I will triumph in the works of Thy hands. Not my hands, Thy hands. Uh, invariably, and I know this happens to many of you, and as you go about your business of your day, you'll meet people sometimes and the Lord gives you an opportunity and you get to brag about our Lord and God Jesus Christ. I found myself asking a, a group of young men just the other day the same question. You've heard me ask this question before. Of all those people that our Heavenly Father wants His Son to save, how many of them will actually be saved? I heard someone say just the other night, uh, 10%. 10%. You know why they say that, of course. They're listening to the false gospel that's preached in Roman Catholicism. They're listening to the false gospel that's preached in free will churches where they teach and preach that our Lord and God Jesus Christ merely made salvation possible. And in order to make work what Christ did, you have to let him do something. That's blasphemy. God grant you to hear the words of our Lord and God Jesus Christ. He said this, This is the Father's will, He who sent me. And beloved, He accomplished the Father's will. He said, All that the Father hath given me to save, I shall save. And none of them will be lost. (laughs) He's a sovereign, successful Savior. So what's the answer to my question anyway? What percent? A hundred percent of the elect shall be saved by our never-failing God, Jesus Christ. And in this world, there are sheep and there are goats. And it's not our business to judge who's a sheep and to judge who's a goat. There's only one man who can do that. He was before those Pharisees, was he not? And he said to them, You don't believe because you're not my sheep. What a solemn moment. This is God manifest in the flesh. He can look at this whole group and we're together here by God's grace. He's gathered us here to sit under the gospel of Christ and Him crucified. But this God-man, He's the one whose eyes are aflame with fire. He is God manifest in the flesh. And He can look at this man and say, You're not my sheep. And He can look at a multitude of us who believe on Him and say, You're my sheep. And he says, my sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. And I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. I get thrilled when I hear that word give. (laughs) He doesn't offer you eternal life. He sovereignly gives life undeservedly to damned, dirty dogs like you and me. My friend, God actually and really saves people his people. Indeed, he saved his people. You see, God did not wait on me to make a decision so he could make what his son did work. No, no. This salvation for sinners, both for the sinner in the pew and the sinner behind this pulpit, was purposed and fixed from all eternity. Now, I don't know if any of you noticed 
when we were singing Amazing Grace, was that the first one we sang? James, what was the first song? Rock of Ages. Yeah. What number was that? 126. I hope we get it right. Otherwise, we're going to be here a little late. That's okay. I want you to notice what we sang in truth there. It says, Rock of Ages, cleft for me. Let me hide myself in thee. We worship the God that we cry out to and we beg, let me hide myself in thee. We don't worship this false, as uh, one minister would often say, peanut God, where we had to let him save us. Got it backwards. We cry out, and there's more. I mean, this is the gospel that God's people have, have believed for all ages. Throughout this whole stanza, let the water and the blood, it's all in his hands. If he doesn't let the water and blood flow from his wounded side be effectual to me, I'm lost. I don't decide. I don't let God do this or that. I cry out, let me believe on the Son of God. Let me rest in his blessed person. Let me rest in his precious blood. Cleanse me thoroughly, completely. Wash me in his blood. Dress me in his righteousness. Don't let me be found in my ruined, soiled righteousness. Let me be found in his righteousness. And so, my only hope, beloved, your only hope, beloved, is not that God will save me if I do this thing or do that other thing. Rather, my only hope is that God has already saved me through the doing and dying of his well-pleasing Son. And that's my only hope. Now, I know that men by nature despise election, especially those that parade around like Christians. But, beloved, that's our only hope. How that God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation. Now, that's a sure hope. Indeed, a steadfast, eternal hope that cannot be taken away. Because, as I mentioned earlier, I can not be saved. I can't not be saved. I cannot be lost because God has saved me, not almost, <laughs> to the uttermost. It's all of Him. Salvation is of the Lord. What peace there is in knowing that. What peace there is not in believing that, not in liking to hope to think that, but in knowing that. You see, we just don't believe these things, beloved. We don't just receive these things. No, no. Rather, we know these things, and all the while we pray, Lord, deliver me. Set me in the way everlasting. Because, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. You can make me accepted, unblameable, and unreprovable in his sight. Oh, what hope, assurance, and joy there is in hearing the well-pleasing voice of our Lord and God with the ear of faith. Our Lord doesn't say, maybe you'll be with me in paradise. He didn't say that. No, no, rather he says to you and me who believe, beloved, you shall be with me in paradise. Beloved, no matter what happens, I can't be lost. I must enter into glory to be with my Savior for all eternity. 
All is well, beloved. All is well. So, Joseph, how are you doing? (laughs) How are you doing, Joseph? All things considered, very well. We were just singing that very thing this past Wednesday. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to his cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. Indeed, it is well with my soul. What a blessing. And so, my friend, that's the gospel. One day we will be with our Lord in paradise in the great city, Mount Zion. And that's what we read in this psalm. Again, Psalm 48, verse 1. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised in the city of our God, in the mountain of his holiness. Mount Zion, the city of our God. Now that's typical of the church. Christ being the head, Mount Zion is the body, the church. His body, the church. Verse 2. Beautiful for situation. Now look across the page at Psalm 50 and look there in verse 2. Out of Zion, the perfection of beauty, God hath shined. Beloved, that's what he says about his church. Because they're in Christ. And our Heavenly Father sees his people in his beloved Son. Out of Zion, the perfection of beauty, God hath shined. Beautiful for situation. Beautiful for situation. Beloved, Christ makes every situation beautiful. I mean, consider a life without Christ versus a life with Christ. Men without Christ, outside of Christ, live day to day with situation after situation. And it just gets worse and worse as life goes on. There's sickness, there's difficulties with family and finances and situation after situation. And then there's old age and declining health and sickness of soul and mind and heart and fears and doubts and all the things that the natural man deals with. And then finally comes death. And oh, to face death without Christ, you talk about an ugly situation. But for the believer, every situation is made beautiful. Beloved, God has laid out his path and he leads us and directs us all the way to that glorious expected end. Our Lord declares, For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. Beloved, all that comes our way is made beautiful by our Savior. It's Him to whom we're looking to. It's Him whom we're hoping in and trusting in. And the future gets brighter and brighter as we get closer and closer to the day of Christ. Oh, what a day that will be, beloved. That's a joyous, wonderful day. And that's the difference between a man that's in Christ and a man outside of Christ. And for those outside of Christ... Well, there's nothing but a certain fearful looking for of judgment. For the man outside of Christ whose sins are not covered, who must face God on his own merit, he'll hear our Lord declare to him, Depart from me, 
and he'll be banished from the presence of God for all eternity. Again, Psalm 48, verse 2. Beautiful for situation, the joy of the whole earth is Mount Zion, on the sides of the north, the city of the great king. The joy of the whole earth. Now turn with me to Isaiah chapter 60. Isaiah chapter 60. And look there with me in verse 14. Isaiah 60, verse 14. The sons also of them that afflicted thee shall come bending unto thee, and all they that despise thee shall bow themselves down at the soles of thy feet, and they shall call thee the city of the Lord, the Zion of the Holy One of Israel. Whereas thou hast been forsaken and hated, so that no man went through thee, I will make thee an eternal excellency, a joy of many generations. You see that? The people of God are the joy of the whole earth, and we spread the gospel message to generation after generation. Beloved, we're the joy of the whole earth. You see, my friend, if it were not for the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, if it were not for the gospel of God in this world, there would be no true joy anywhere to be found in this fallen world. No true joy anywhere if it were not for Christ and Him crucified. Look over there to Isaiah chapter 40, verse 9. Now here's what Zion does. Here's what God's people do. Isaiah 40, verse 9. O Zion, that bringest good tidings. Beloved, we're bringing good gospel tidings. Get thee up into the high mountain. O Jerusalem, that bringeth good tidings. Lift up thy voice with strength. Lift it up. Be not afraid. Say unto the cities of Judah, Behold your God. Beloved, this is what we cry. Behold your God. Behold the Lamb of God who taketh away the sins of the world. Verse, verse 10. Behold, the Lord God will come with strong hand and his arm shall rule for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his work before him. And he shall feed his flock like a shepherd. He shall gather the lambs with his arm and carry them in his bosom and shall gently lead those that are with young. Behold your God. Behold your Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And beloved, that's what we're doing this morning. Beholding our God who doeth all things well. All right, Psalm 48, verse 3. God is known in her palaces for refuge. Beloved, in the city of God, in the church of God, God is known in her palaces for a refuge. Now look there with me in Psalm 62. Psalm 62, verse 7. Psalm 62, verse 7. In God is my salvation. Where's my salvation? It's in a person. It's not in doing this or that. It's in a person. In God is my salvation and my glory. And he is the rock of my strength and my refuge is in God. Beloved, trust in him at all times. Ye people, pour out your heart before him. For God is a refuge for us. 
Isn't that what we just read over there in our text in Psalm 48, verse 3? God is known in her palaces for a refuge. Beloved, in this place, we know God as our refuge. You see, we're hiding in Him. We're not hiding in a statement of faith. We're not hiding in a theological confession. No, no. We're hiding in Christ. Look over in uh, Proverbs. Proverbs 18. I love what it says here in Proverbs 18, verse 10. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous runneth into it and is safe. Now, beloved, if God says we're safe, we're safe. Well, how safe can God make us? Absolutely safe. So safe that he says, we shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck us out of his hand. Now, I want you to look at a text in uh, Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 33. Deuteronomy chapter 33, and then look there there with me in verse 26. God's word declares in Deuteronomy chapter 33, verse verse 26. There is none like unto the God of Jeshurun, who rideth upon the heaven in thy help, and in his excellency on the sky... The eternal God is thy refuge. And underneath are the everlasting arms, and he shall thrust out the enemy from before thee, and shall say, Destroy them. Israel then then shall dwell in safety alone. The fountain of Jacob shall be upon a land of corn and wine. Also his heavens shall drop down dew. Did you hear that, beloved? The eternal God is thy refuge. God is known in her palaces for refuge. And then in verse 4 of Psalm 48, in verse 4 through to verse 8, it speaks here of the church's enemies. And as they passed by and saw the church, and they saw God's people, they marveled, and they were troubled, and were made to fear. And verse verse 6 tells us, Fear took hold upon them, and pain as of a woman in travail. You see, unbelievers see how God protects his people, his church, by his mighty power, and how that our confidence is in God our Savior, and how that it is we cannot be lost. And seeing this, the unbelievers are troubled, and they're made to fear, for their false gospel gives place for fear and doubt, because what they're laying hold upon, what their false refuge is, is nothing more than something they've done or something they hope to do, some part that they vainly believe that they'll labor about in their own salvation, like the pain of a woman in travail, and God will destroy them by his mighty power. Once again, look over there to the book of Isaiah. This time we'll look Isaiah chapter 13. Isaiah chapter 13. My friend, there's no safety outside of Christ. Whether you say this or not, 
or whether you hear it quietly in your mind. I've noticed in this area of the world, it's very common to hear people say, God bless you. God bless you. Everyone says that. It's very uh, culturally Texan, I think. I hope you're hearing the end of that, at least in your mind, in your heart. God bless you in Christ. Outside of Christ, there are no blessings. Not one blessing outside of Christ. Look there in... uh, Well, let me make that more authoritative. Our Lord records for us in the Gospel of John. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. Isaiah 13, verse 6. How ye, how ye, For the day of the Lord is at hand. It shall come as a destruction from the Almighty. Therefore shall all hands be faint, and every man's heart shall melt, and they shall be afraid. Pangs and sorrow shall take hold of them. They shall be in pain as of a woman that travaileth. They shall be amazed one at another. Their faces shall be as flames. Behold, the day of the Lord cometh, cruel both with wrath and fierce anger, to lay the land desolate, and he shall destroy the sinners thereof out of it. My friend, for those outside of Christ, there is nothing but certain judgment and destruction. I'm reminded of that scripture. If God be for us, who can be against us? And my friend, outside of Christ, God is against you. What a fearful thing that is. If there is someone here this morning that doesn't fear the Lord, if there is someone in our midst that does not fear the Lord, may the Lord grant you to fear Him and give you wisdom to flee to His beloved Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the only Savior for sinners. Psalm 48, verse 7. Thou breakest the ships of Tarshish, with an east wind. Thou breakest the ships. My friend, it's such an easy thing for God to put to nothing the might and the strength of this world. It's an easy thing. You see, he just blows upon it and it's destroyed. Verse 8. As we have heard, so we have seen in the city of the Lord of hosts, in the city of our God. God will establish it forever. God will establish that city And God has established that city. And it's a city not made with hands. And God will establish it forever. Eternal safety, a rock against which the gates of hell cannot prevail. Beloved, not one. It's easy to get distracted when you're listening to the gospel being preached. I pray the Lord would grant everyone here an attentive ear. I always tell my daughter... um, Look at the pastor and listen to the pastor. Look and listen. (laughs) Um, It's easy to get distracted. I I can get distracted. Any of us can. But I, I want you to hear this. This is so important. Not one for whom the Lord Jesus Christ died shall ever be lost. 
We're talking about God who is God. Not this small G God who's trying to be God. Not the God who needs my permission to be the Lord of my life. No, no. This is the God who is God. And not one for whom Christ died will ever be lost. My friend, that gospel that says Christ died for someone that winds up in hell, that's no gospel at all. You see, Christ's death accomplished salvation for his people, and they shall be saved, and they'll never be lost. You see, my friend, God's not waiting for your cooperation or for you to meet certain conditions to be saved. No, no. Rather, he saved us, beloved, outside of ourselves. He saved us against our will, and yet he made us willing in the day of his power. You see, you don't believe to be saved. Rather, beloved, you believe because you already are. (laughs) You see, God has all power. If he wants to save a man, that man's going to believe the gospel and that man is going to be saved. And beloved, that's our only hope. That's my only hope, that God has pitied me and given me his salvation and put me in his son before time ever was so that I can never be lost. And he set his love upon me and brought me to know that. Now look at verse 9. We have thought of thy loving kindness, O God. We have thought of thy loving kindness, O God, in the midst of thy temple. Beloved, we're in the midst of his temple this morning. Now I'm not talking about this building, but rather this local assembly of the city of God, this local assembly of the body of Christ. And this is where God meets with his people and speaks to us as we're gathered together to read his word and to worship in this local body of Christ. And in his temple, we have thoughts of his loving kindness. Beloved, how often have we been led to think upon his loving kindness when we're hearing the word preached to us in this place? You see, true religion is a thinking man's religion. Is it not? And so how is it that we may have thoughts of his loving kindness? How is it that we may think upon his loving kindness? I love the answer to that question recorded for us in 1 John chapter 20, or 1 John chapter 5, excuse me. 1 John chapter 5. And it just thrills me to read why it is I believe. <laughs> And I trust it will thrill you as well, beloved. John's Gospel, first, John's, the first epistle of John, chapter 5, verse 20. Beloved, we know, we just don't believe this, we know that the Son of God is come and hath given us an understanding. The Son of God has given us an, under, an understanding, beloved, that we may know him that is true, and we are in him that is true, even in his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. You see, someone can attend a worship service and not worship. My friend, just being here is not worship. For there can be no worship without the understanding he gives to his beloved people, that we may think upon him and have thoughts of our Lord and his loving kindness toward us. My friend, what do you think about our Lord? What are your thoughts concerning him? In Proverbs 23, we read, 
As a man thinketh in his heart, so he is. You see, God looks upon the heart. God's, God sees your heart this morning. God sees my heart this morning. He sees all of our hearts this morning. And in the midst of thy temple, O God, we have thoughts of thy loving kindness. Just think of it, beloved. Before time was, by faith, we've been given an understanding to believe on God. And taught of him, we are made to know that he chose us. I love the testimony the Holy Spirit preserves of true believers. And when the Lord said to those disciples, you have not chosen me, but I have chosen you. There wasn't one murmur from them. (laughs) God revealed this to them. They rejoiced in that. And so do we, beloved. You see, we had nothing in us to cause him to do anything for us. And we think upon his loving kindness that caused God to choose me and choose you. And so why is it that God chose you and chose me, beloved? Why did God have mercy on a worm like me and a worm like you? Why is that? Because he has mercy on whom he's pleased to have mercy. And so we have thoughts of his loving kindness in the midst of his temple. And so you see, God's not worshipped with men's hands. But where, where two or three are gathered together in his name, studying his word as we are here in this worship service this morning, thinking upon him. Beloved, that's where God is speaking to your heart and mine. You see, God has no need of symbols, ceremonies, crosses, or grand cathedrals. And there's some big and beautiful buildings out there, but God's not honored in that. God is not worshipped because of that. No, no, rather, he's honored and worshipped in the hearts of his people as they think upon him and consider his loving kindness. That's how he's worshipped. How pleasant are the thoughts when we're enabled in quietness and solitude to think upon him. And how precious and pleasant are those thoughts. Pleasant thoughts of his blessed person and his finished, never-failing, saving work for his people. How pleasant are the thoughts of the bride for the bridegroom. You see, there's nothing dreadful to think about. It's all pleasant, joyful things, knowing he loves us and protects us And we can never fall, beloved. We can never be lost. Beloved, how can we ever forget what the Lord has done for us? And how can it be that God should come as a man and die for me? Beloved, God himself laid down his life for us. Look in verse 10, Psalm 48, verse 10. According to thy name, O God, so is thy praise unto the ends of the earth, Thy right hand is full of righteousness. You know, when I read that this morning, it said his right hand was full of righteousness. And you know what? It still says his right hand is full of righteousness. You see, God doesn't change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he's righteous in his judgments. He makes his people righteous, and his hands are still full of righteousness. You see, he's not depleted in the least. Beloved, God is so far above, so far above us, we have no comprehension of, of his greatness. Even the little bit we understand. We, we understand a little bit, a few things. But you'll see, we'll be there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, and we'll still be learning about his glorious attributes. And oh, when we get to glory, 
What a day that will be, beloved. What a blessed day that will be to see him face to face. Though I must admit, when I contemplate that, and I think about people talking about seeing him face to face, in my fallen flesh, I can't imagine seeing him face to face. I just see myself face planted into the ground at his feet. (laughs) Beloved, that great name which is above every name, this glorious and fearful name, the Lord thy God, the great God who is God, the one greatly to be praised, is our God. (laughs) We shall sing that new song, singing, Lord, thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof. For thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. Verse 11. Let Mount Zion rejoice. Let the church of God, the people of God, rejoice. Let the daughters of Judah be glad because of thy judgments. Beloved, his judgments are righteous judgments. And so we rejoice that God has judged us in Christ. And there is therefore now no condemnation, no judgment for the believer in Christ. And so we rejoice in that great judgment of our Heavenly Father, where He hath made His darling Son to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. Beloved, through our substitute, we've been judged and punished, and our sin hath been put away. And so now there is therefore now no judgment, no condemnation for the believer. And we rejoice in that. How that God righteously justifies and sanctifies his people and God judges sin and the sinner. You see, my friend, my sin and your sin deserves hell. God would be just and good to send me to hell. And why is that? Well, because that's what I deserve. But God, (laughs) I love all those buts in God's word. But God commendeth his love toward me in that while I was yet a sinner, Christ died for me. And beloved, that blessed verse in Romans chapter 5 verse 8 speaks of all of his beloved people. Now by nature, men think it's an awful thing that God sends men to hell. But my friend, that's a good thing. That's a just thing. You see, it's a right thing that God banishes sin never to be heard from again never to trouble anyone again. You see, God put an end to sin, and my sin and your sin deserves hell. You see, the sinner in the pew and the sinner behind this pulpit, we all deserve hell. I should go to hell and suffer eternal separation from God. That's how bad my sin is. But thank God... (laughs) I'm so thankful for his son and for his word that quiets all of my doubting fears. If you're fearful, reverently fearful this morning, that's a good thing. Listen to the words of our Lord and God and may he quiet your fears. Beloved, our Lord declares, All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. And so I'm coming to him. (laughs) I'm not coming to my best life now. I'm not coming to my works or my best effort. No, no. 
Rather, I'm coming to him all the time. And he tells you and me who believe on him and trust him that all that cometh to me, I will in no wise, in no way cast out. And beloved, we rejoice in that, how that there's a day coming when there'll be no more sin. Thank God for sending his beloved, well-pleasing son into the world to (coughs) save sinners. Beloved, he's done the work. He put away our sin and he judges righteously. Thank God there's a day coming when there'll be no sin, there'll be no crying, there'll be no pain, there'll be no hate, and there'll be no more death. My friend, flee to Christ. Has God so loved you in the light and countenance of his beloved Son and shown you what a sorry sinner you are? Well, then flee to Christ. He sent his Son in the world to save you, sinner. Flee to Christ and cry for mercy. And then only then is your election made known by believing and trusting him. And beloved, that's our only hope. Just fall down and cry. Lord, if you don't save me, I won't be saved. My sinner friend, the Lord hears the cry of those that have a need. And my friend, the Lord has never turned a deaf ear to a sinner that has come to the place where they have nothing to offer. Lord, if I die without you, I deserve to go to hell, and I'll say amen when you do. But I've heard there's salvation in another who died for sinners. Lord, I beg you, let me follow him. Let me believe on him. I beg you for his sake, hear my prayer, hear my cry, save me. Don't damn me. Now you could and you should, but I beg you, show mercy. That's my only hope. And beloved, that's the only hope we have. Lord, I come as a mercy beggar. I need mercy. Lord, let Mount Zion, this representative part of her, (laughs) let Mount Zion rejoice. Let the church of God rejoice and be glad here this morning. Beloved, God has destroyed the enemy and triumphed over sin. And he tells his people, your warfare is accomplished. Your sin is put away. And so, beloved, be glad for the judgments of our good and ready to forgive God for their right and good judgments. Beloved, he hath done all things in righteousness, and he hath done all things well. Verse 12. We shouldn't be much longer. Walk about Zion and go about her. Tell the towers thereof. Mark ye well her bulwarks. Consider her palaces, that ye may tell it to the generation following. Walk about the church of God and see her protection. See those solid brass walls, those great towers of God's provided refuge. Beloved, his church, his people are eternally safe. Marvel at it. Marvel at God's preserving power. Walk about Zion and tell the generations following that God has provided for his people and protects them and keeps them safe in this walled city. The Lord is my rock and my fortress, and those great truths that adorn the doctrine of Christ, the truth that is in Jesus Christ our Lord, they fortify our souls against all that would harm us. You see, before the foundation of the world, before you and I ever existed, God the Father and God the Son made a covenant, one with another. And God the Father gave God the Son a people, and he said, I'll die, I'll die for those people and present them faultless before you. And so you see, beloved, our salvation, my salvation, 
your salvation is dependent upon that covenant, the agreement of promise that God made with God, and it's not dependent upon any promise that I make. No, no. Rather, it's dependent upon the sure promise that God made with God. And those in the covenant cannot be lost. You see, we have both the eternal covenant of grace and the promise of his oath, as the Apostle Paul tells us in the book of Hebrews, how that by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us. Oh, what gospel towers, bulwarks, and palaces we have in Christ Jesus, our Lord and God. I mean, who is greater than God? Who shall defeat God and the wisdom of God? And who shall outwit God? Who is wiser than God? You see, beloved, God meets with his people. He is present with them. And so who shall deprive us of the good presence of our God? The everlasting, unchangeable, eternal word of God. Who shall remove it? Who shall change it? Beloved, it shall be forever. And so all around the church of God, between God's people and destruction, is this full, flowing stream of the atoning blood of Christ. God said, when I see the blood, I'll pass by. Beloved, we're covered by the precious blood of Christ. Verse 14. Beloved, this God is our God forever and ever. And he will be our guide unto death. Beloved, he will guide us. He will lead us. He will carry us. And he will never forsake us, even unto death. And then we'll have that glorious expected end to be in the presence of our good and ready to forgive God, the Lord Jesus Christ, where he purposed to have us from all eternity with him in glory. Beloved, our Lord declares, not maybe, not perhaps, no, no, rather he declares, verily I say unto thee, thou shalt be with me in paradise. The other day when Sandra and I arrived back from a long drive, I said, praise the Lord, he's brought us home. And we should be thankful for his daily protecting providence. But oh, how glorious a day it will be when we say that in glory, beloved. Praise the Lord, he's brought us home. Amen.